Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. So the scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 6, starting with verse 25 through 35. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The word of the Lord. Hey, thanks, Bruce. It is... uh, Always good to see George and Sandy Mastrioni's Pastor George and Sandy, welcome back. Yeah, they just returned from a worldwide cruise. Okay? Uh, and as I always say, I'll say it again, just so you don't forget, George. I want to be you when I grow up. Could you just keep doing what you're doing until I'm ready to retire, and then we'll just switch, Okay? That would be great. What a way to go. Thank you for your ministry at sea. Uh, thank you for your ministry to an international crew and passengers. Uh, wonderful opportunities. And I know from our correspondence while you're away uh, that the Lord has readied people's hearts for the gospel. And uh, for whatever reason, I can't imagine why, they're very receptive uh, when they're on vacation or when they're, when they're at sea. And so you have a captive audience. So thank you very, very much for all that both of you do. And uh, welcome home until your next excursion. Okay, until your next excursion. Well, we're continuing in our new series, 2020 Vision. And last week, you might recall uh, that we discussed how important it is Uh, that we begin the new year focused on Jesus. 
Uh, there are a lot of things that vie for our attention. Agreed? Uh, there are a lot of good things uh, that really can become priorities in our life. But if any of those things becomes a substitute for Jesus himself, if any of those things cause us um, to really focus in and look to, to anything other than Jesus uh, to meet uh, our deepest needs, uh, then really uh, our, our, our focus, our eyesight, our spiritual eyesight uh, isn't 2020, okay? And we need an adjustment. And so it's good as we start the new year to, to focus in on Jesus, to really bring him uh, into clarity. And what better way to do that uh, than to look at what Jesus had to say about himself? How did Jesus describe himself? Uh, what language did he use uh, when sharing uh, the good news of the gospel with people? And we can find that in John John's gospel. In fact, there are seven statements that Jesus makes. They're called the I am statements of Jesus because they begin with Jesus saying, I am, followed by something that describes who he is, uh, what his relationship is to those who focus on him. And in examining those, we get a really better idea of what we can expect from him. Uh, in our lives. So we're going to take the next several weeks and we're going to be looking at uh, seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. But as we focus on Jesus, the one thing we need to begin with is this, that our faith uh, is anchored in Jesus, that he is the centerpiece, he is the focal point, and in every area of our lives, Every area of our lives, no matter what your experience is today, no matter what you're encountering at work, what your health is like, uh, what uh, your finances are, uh, what your personal relationships are like, Jesus is more than sufficient to meet you in those places, to be your all and all. And so often, we look to some good things to take the place of the best thing, and that's Jesus. And I hope in the next several weeks that we'll kind of get our eyes in focus and we'll be reminded of this great truth um, of who Jesus is and that he's more than sufficient. In fact, in, last week I shared a scripture, Second Peter 1.3, uh, that, that says that his divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Everything. And as Pastor Tyler uh, often says when he refers to this passage, uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek, uh, his, his divine power has given us almost everything we need or most of the things that we need to live a godly life. And then Tyler kind of smiles, you know. Um, and he knows and we know what the Scripture says. He's given us everything that we need. In fact, I'll say this, no matter how much you have or how much you think you have or how well you're doing at meeting those needs, uh, if Christ isn't in the center of your heart and your life, okay, then there is a deficiency. There is something that's missing that you desperately need. And my prayer would be that over this uh, series, the next few weeks, that you would come to know 
Jesus, uh, his person, what that means to you, and um, how important it is to have him in the center of your life. So, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 6. Now, Bruce read verses 25 through 35. Um, but in order to understand those verses, we need to take a quick look at what comes before because that really sets the stage for everything that's going on here. And so chapter 6 begins with Jesus crossing the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. And by now, his reputation is renowned. Um, he has performed many miracles and signs. Uh, those are attesting miracles. They attest to the veracity or the truth of, of who he is and what he came to do. And he had great popularity with the crowds. And the crowds grew greater and greater and greater. And wherever Jesus went, they followed him. And by this time, there are great throngs of people uh, that are following Jesus. And so <clears throat> he arrives uh, across the Sea of Galilee. And there's a great crowd of people uh, that have followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Uh, then Jesus went on the mountainside, verse 3, and sat down with his disciples. Now, this is key to understanding the whole context of chapter 6. Circle, verse 4, it says, The Jewish Passover festival was near. So, in the Jewish Passover festival, the Jewish people are remembering the mighty works of God, through Moses, delivering them from captivity uh, in Egypt, and of course, the journey through the wilderness to the promised land. So we, we, we know that as the Exodus. And so the Passover commemorates and remembers that in events that took place during that, during those years and during that time. So this is fresh on the minds of the people. Uh, oftentimes in the synagogue, rabbis during this time would obviously teach and make reference to as they remembered and celebrated Passover. So the people now are predisposed to what's going to happen. And it says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread or uh, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Now, Philip's answer in verse 7 is very similar uh, to a conversation that uh, Moses had with, with Jesus, uh, not with Jesus, with God, in Numbers 11, where it's talking about the, the manna and the quail in the wilderness. And Moses essentially says to God, God, why have you put me in this situation with all these people? How in the world am I going to provide for them? Where am I going to find meat to feed them? So it's kind of very similar. Uh, as Philip says, well, okay, Lord, you know, where are we going to find the money to buy uh, food for all these people? And of course, we know that there was a a boy, and he had a barley loaf and some fishes, and Jesus uses that, and out of that, he feeds the multitudes, okay? He feeds the multitudes. Not only does he feed them, 
Um, but the scripture says that after everything was distributed, uh, that there was enough left over to fill 12 baskets. And so this is a great miracle, a great feeding of the people. And now remember, Passover and the events that followed as uh, the Jewish people um, left Egypt, um, this is very reminiscent of the people in the wilderness who are hungry and what happens? God feeds them manna or bread from heaven. And so as Jesus is performing this miracle, by the way, this is the only miracle of Jesus that's recorded in all four Gospels. Did you know that? So it must be pretty important, huh? Uh, So as Jesus is doing this, and they are on the eve of Passover, where do you think their mind is going? They're kind of making the correlation between Moses, the great prophet of God, um, their deliverer, right? The one who led them out of Egypt. Uh, the one uh, who, through his leadership, God, God provided and the manna in the wilderness. And that, that whole story, their mind goes there very quickly. And how do we know that? Because it says in verse 14, After the people saw the signs Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, Moses himself uh, made reference to this in Exodus, uh, excuse me, in Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verse 15. If you put that up, Tobin. Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites who you must listen to. And so as Jesus feeds the multitude, it's Passover, they're correlating or making the connection between what happened in the wilderness with Moses and now Jesus feeding them. They're saying, ah, this person must be that prophet that Moses spoke about. This must be the one. And so that kind of sets the table. Now, it's interesting. If you look at Deuteronomy 8, Tobin, verses 2 through 3, this is what you're going to see. All right? Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way through the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. All right? Whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now it's interesting. Keeping this passage in mind and keeping it up there, Jesus is going to feed the multitudes. They're going to make the connection between what Jesus is doing, right? Providing them bread, food to eat, 
with what happened in the wilderness, which they remember in the festival, the time of Passover. And Jesus is going to use this event, if you will, to test them. To allow them to check their hearts, to help them make an adjustment so that their hearts are aligned with God and their focus is on Jesus. So he's going to do something very similar. And essentially what he's going to be teaching them here, and we're going to see this in our passages as we go forward, through answering a series of three questions, he's going to teach them the very thing um, that Deuteronomy 8, 2 through 3 says, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And in this case, man does not live on bread that meets physical needs alone, but on the one who is the bread of life, the one who is fully sufficient to meet their most important spiritual needs, their eternal needs. Because what happens is, a person eats bread and they're satisfied for a while and then they go hungry again. But Jesus is going to teach them the bread that I'm going to feed you, you'll eat and never hunger again. It will satisfy you. Much the way he taught the woman in the well in John chapter 4. That you're going to drink from this water, you're never going to thirst again. This is the living water. Right? And so here we see this now in John chapter 6 around this event. So then we have uh, just a minor miracle kind of in between the feeding and the passage we're looking at today. And that is Jesus going out on the Sea of Galilee and what? Walking on water, right? Now, the people, the multitudes didn't see this. This is only what his disciples saw. And yet they took note that his disciples left and that he had been gone. And so they're going to cross over to try to find him. And, And that's where verse 25 begins. And in verse 25, it says, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him. Now, this is the first of three questions that Jesus is going to use to teach them, really to correct them or help adjust their their side alignment so that it's focused on the most important thing. And they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? We, we saw your disciples leave. When did you leave? How did you get here? When did you get here? They were looking for him. Verse 26, Jesus answers, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Right? In other words, I'll paraphrase. He's saying, hey, listen, you came looking for me not because of the signs that you saw that really are signs of who I am. But you came because you ate your fill. Now, what happens to a person who eats bread today? They're satisfied, but what happens 
tomorrow. They're hungry again. They need bread again. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, you're, you're not coming over here looking for me. You're coming over here looking for what I can do for you. In the sense of meeting your temporal need of feeding you bread because you're hungry again. It's kind of like, what have you done for me lately, Jesus? I'll give you the opportunity to, to, to feed us again because we're hungry again. You, you see that? You see what's going on here? If you take notes or if you write in the margin of your Bible as I do, you might want to write this down. Jesus didn't come to feed them bread. Jesus didn't come to feed them bread. He came to be bread. Jesus didn't come to feed them bread. He came to be bread. And he's going to make that very clear moving forward. So, Jesus... It says, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Now, he says this, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Which the Son of Man, is a terminology that Jesus uses for himself, will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So, so Jesus is saying to them, don't look for food that's going to spoil. Don't make the focus of your life, don't make your endeavor, right, this day-to-day existence for temporal things, for things that satisfy today, but leave you wanting tomorrow. Don't do that. But seek the food that endures to eternal life, which I'm going to give you, which comes from the Father above. Okay? In other words, I've come from Him. Then they asked Him, verse 2, What must we do What must we do to do the works God requires? Okay? So, they as Jewish people are thinking in terms of what works must we do to earn the approval and favor of God so that we receive what this is that you're talking about. And so there's two things here. Number one, they come looking for the bread, the temporal bread that satisfies for a moment, but then leaves them hungry. By the way, how often do we do that? How often do we approach Jesus? How often do we pursue him and we follow him for the things that we think we need in our life that satisfy our immediate need? But in doing so, really, we're looking past what our eternal need is, and rather than seeking Jesus for who he is and what that means to us, we're seeking him for what he can give us that we think we need or that we think is the most important thing we need. 
I know I'm guilty of that. So I can relate to these folks. So as Jesus attempts to correct them, says, no, focus on me. What's eternal, not is not what's on temporal. Because I can satisfy your real need. I didn't come to feed you bread, but to be bread for you. Bread from heaven, from God. They say, well, what do we have to do? What do we have to do? How do we earn this? What work do we need to do? And Jesus is going to, again, correct or help adjust them. Jesus answers, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Paul says it this way to the Ephesians, we are saved by grace through faith, not through work of your own that no one can boast. So your work is to believe. Your work is that of faith, belief in the one whom God has sent. That's what you're to do. Believe. It's very similar to the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus back in John chapter 3. In 3.16, you're familiar with that. Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have what? Eternal life. The things of the world perish. The things of the world are temporal. But those who are in Christ have what? That which is eternal. Eternal life. It never perishes. It doesn't spoil, fade, or go away. And then in verses 17 and 18, Jesus says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So what Jesus told Nicodemus is essentially what he's telling the crowds here. Your job, your work is to believe. in the gift that God has sent from heaven. Now, this is interesting. So they asked him, verse 14, or verse 30, uh, verse 30. So they asked him, this is the third question that he's going to use to help align them. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Okay, so Exodus 16.4. You put that up there, Tobin. And the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them to see whether or not they're going to follow my instructions. But really what the people are remembering here uh, is a verse from Psalm 78, verses 24 through 25. This is likely what they're quoting. He rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. Human beings ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food they could eat. So now he, they're asking him this question. What sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? 
What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, for it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Quoting this psalm. Remembering back to Exodus. Right? And doesn't that strike you as funny? How does verse, or how does chapter 12 or chapter 6 begin? That the people had seen Jesus performing very uh, a lot of miracles, right? Many miracles and healing. So much so that crowds follow him across the Sea of Galilee where he performs this miracle of feeding the multitudes. And now he's again gone across with his disciples. They follow him there. He's in Capernaum. He's in the synagogue. He's teaching And what are they asking for? Another miracle. Well, what has he just done? So why would they ask that? I'm glad you asked that. Because in extra-biblical literature, rabbinical literature and teaching, when the Messiah returns... It was taught by the rabbis that once again, God would open up the storehouse of bread or manna from heaven and feed his people. So in other words, they're saying, yeah, I know you fed the multitudes. You fed some of us. We were there. But now what sign are you going to give? A greater sign. The sign that's been promised by the rabbis, by our teachers, that when the Messiah comes, when the anointed one of God, the long-awaited one, that once again, the storehouse, the heavenly vault of manna of bread will be opened and poured out on his people. So in other words, you fed us on the mountainside, but now we want to see you feed the whole nation if you're the one who's to come. Does that make sense? You see the context there? It's interesting, isn't it? All right. So, how does Jesus respond? Jesus says to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, But it is my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. Right? So that what Moses gave, and that what you're asking for me, it didn't come from Moses. It comes from the Father who's in heaven. Right? Verse 33, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Remember, they're thinking, hey, when the Messiah comes, the long-promised anointed one, the one who's going to rule on the throne of David to establish the kingdom that will last forever, then the storehouse, the vault of man is going to open up from heaven. It's going to be poured out and God will feed his whole nation the way he did the wandering people in that wilderness during Moses' time, right? Jesus says, For the bread of God is the bread that comes down 
from heaven and gives life to the world. She says, in other words, yes, it's good and it's right for you to expect bread to rain down from heaven. But the bread that's going to come is going to do more than meet your temporal need or feed you for today. It's bread that's going to give life to the world. It's bread that's eternal, that satisfies eternally and meets your deepest need. Now, he's going to go on and say this. Are you ready? And this leads us to 35. He says, Jesus declared, well, they say in 34, Sir, then, always give us this bread. We want it. Okay, bring it on. We're ready. Then Jesus says in verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I am that bread. I am the one that Scripture promised. I am the one who comes down from heaven. I am the one approved of God. I am he. I'm right here. I'm standing right in front of you. Now, if you're going to write a little note here in the margin of your Bible, you're taking notes, write this down. Okay? Jesus doesn't feed them bread, okay, to save them from hunger or starvation, right? The bread that Jesus is going to feed them is bread to save them from damnation and judgment. The difference is the the focus on the immediate material need versus the focus on their real, true spiritual need. And that's what Jesus is coming to give them, to serve them, to be for them. And in Exodus 3, 13 through 14, do you remember when Moses had his conversation with God? Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, tell them I am who I am, right? That is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am sent you to me. Okay? Again, making the connection with the wilderness and the exodus and all that takes place and as you remember the Passover. Well, here what Jesus is going to do is provide the first of, and what he does, of the I am statements. In which he takes I am, but he connects it now with either a festival or a holiday in Judaism or a cultural, um, something culturally that they're familiar with, like a shepherd with sheep or a someone tending a vineyard or, as we'll see as we move forward, the things that they can identify, that they can see, and he attaches a heavenly purpose to them. And as I am this, this is who I am, this is what I've come to do, this is what you'll see in me, this is what I mean for your life. You make that? So he says, I am 
the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Okay? I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. So, in cultures around the world, bread is the sustenance of of physical life, of, of, of material need, of satisfying hunger, bread. Every culture has a form of bread that is a staple that poor and wealthy alike, although maybe in different forms, look to to nourish them physically. Jesus is making the connection to that spiritually. It says, I am that spiritual staple. I am that thing that you need. I'm the thing that gives you life, that sustains your life spiritually. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. And whoever believes in me, right, will never go hungry and will never be thirsty. And so as we now begin 2020, are we going to come to Jesus and follow him into the new year saying, how did you get here, Jesus? Are we going to follow him into the new year for what will only satisfy us for the moment? Right? It's almost as if he has to take bread out of our hand to put true bread in our hand. Jesus didn't come to feed them bread to satisfy their physical or material need, although he does that. The real reason he came is to be the bread for them that satisfies eternally. Are we going to follow Jesus into the new year and say, hey, Jesus, I know you're the bread of life, but I've got, I, I, what do I have to do to earn your, earn your approval? What do I have to do to, to seal my salvation and know that I'm secure eternally? What do I have to do to partake of this bread that you promised to give? And Jesus says, your work is to believe. And so are we going to enter the new year pursuing Christ, not for what he can give us, but for who he is, believing in who he is? And knowing that he is a gift from God that comes from heaven. And that's by grace we're saved through faith. Not of work of our own. Not of toil of our own. If that were possible, then Jesus would have died in vain on the cross. And then finally, finally, are we going to pursue Christ as priorities? Are we going to put our temporal, worldly needs in their, in their right order, but place Jesus in the center and the focus and pursue that which really matters? That which is fully sufficient, that which can satisfy us for eternity. Are we going to look to him, the author, and the, the perfecter, the finisher, the one who makes our faith complete? Are we going to do that? Are we going to have 2020 vision and focus on Jesus? He's fully sufficient to satisfy our deepest need. Amen? Amen. Let's continue to worship Him.